You are listening to the Not Your Average Autism Mom podcast, the number one podcast for moms just like you, raising an autistic child. How are moms like us who didn't plan for this unique parenting journey embracing life just as it is right now, instead of staying stuck in wishing, hoping, and dreaming it was different? That is the question, and this podcast, along with our Let's Talk Autism newsletter and our private sisterhood, will give you the answers. My name is Shannon Urquiola, and I have been traveling this journey for over two decades. I have been where you are. All right, stay with me, and let's get on to this week's episode. Episode 30, the eligibility determination meeting and the difference between a 504 plan and an IEP. Well, hey there, mamas. I hope you are all doing well today. Before I get into today's topic, I want to share something that came up inside our private membership this past week with one of our members as it relates to special education. So here is what you need to know. You are not required ever to obtain or provide the school district with a medical diagnosis for your child to be evaluated by their school district for special education services. In addition, a medical diagnosis is not required for your child to qualify for special education services. The school district can request that you obtain a medical statement or an assessment showing any um, significant factors that may be impacting your student's educational performance as part of their evaluation process. But remember, I talked about this in episode 29, and I'll touch on it again in this episode, but just because your child has a medical diagnosis does not automatically qualify them for special education. This was important because we had one of our moms whose district told her that because she does not have the official medical diagnosis yet of autism, that they needed to wait and they couldn't evaluate. And I just want you to know, like we told her, that is absolutely not true. So, all right, my rant is over. So let's get back to today's topic. That was just really important. And I really felt that you need to know that because that is absolutely not true. And, you know, as a parent, unfortunately, what we do a lot of times is we just trust what the school or the school district tells us as truth. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say that they're always not telling the truth. A lot of them really don't know that it's maybe it's just what they've been told. But look, you know, we've been in special education for over a decade. We know it inside and out. So we work really closely with our moms in the membership. And, you know, I'm thankful that she had us to let let her know that that is absolutely not true. So she has obviously gone back and requested another meeting to move forward in the evaluation process. So the requested evaluations have been completed and the school has reached out to you to schedule what is known as an eligibility determination meeting. Now, if you aren't here yet and you haven't requested evaluations to be completed yet, Go back to episode 29, where I go into detail about the evaluations and the evaluation process. 
For this episode, we're going to assume that the evaluations have been completed and the school has reached out to you to schedule a meeting. So here are a couple things that you need to know. First of all, when they reach out to you to schedule a meeting, this meeting must be scheduled at a mutually agreeable date and time. The school cannot tell you that they only do meetings on Fridays or on Tuesdays or only at 7.30 before school starts. Included in your rights under IDEA, the law governing special education, the meeting must allow you meaningful participation, and that includes a mutually agreed upon date and time for all participants, including you. Super important. Because look, a lot of us, it's not convenient for us to be at school at 7.30 for a meeting for one child when maybe we have another child that we also have to get ready and get to school or, you know, maybe you can't take off of work on that morning or whatever the situation is, they have to come up with a mutually agreeable date and time. That includes you. Number two, you can and should always request copies of all the completed evaluations prior to the scheduled meeting date and time. They must provide them to you upon your request 72 hours prior to the meeting. This is important because this will give you time to review the evaluations and be sure that you have your questions ready for anything that you don't understand or that maybe that you disagree with and you might have additional questions on. It also saves time in the meeting so that they don't have to read the evaluations line by line. So when you start the meeting, you can tell them, I've already reviewed the evaluations, so we don't have to read them line by line, but these are my questions or concerns. Next, Always remember that eligibility for special education services is a team decision. And you, mama, you are an especially important part of that team. The evaluators, school or school district cannot predetermine eligibility or non-eligibility prior to this eligibility determination meeting. It is always a team decision. So really quick, let me tell you who that team consists of. You, the student's parent or guardian, at least one general education teacher, at least one special education teacher, a representative of the school district who is qualified to provide or supervises the provision of special education. Um, Usually this is a uh, principal or assistant principal. So they're knowledgeable about the general curriculum and the availability of resources within the district. Next, an individual who can interpret evaluation results. Um, So that would be the school psychologist, an OT, a PT, a speech and language pathologist, and then any other individuals Um, of the parent or the district who have knowledge or expertise regarding the student. And that includes related services personnel, if appropriate. And that would mean um, the transportation department or the school nurse. So if there's special, a special situation regarding transportation, you'd need somebody from transportation there. If they need special equipment on the bus 
or if there's medical concerns, you would need to have the school nurse there. And then if appropriate, the student. Now, let me tell you about that. That is solely up to you. You get to decide if you want your child there or not. Um, generally, once they turn 14 or sometimes 16 in some um, areas, they want them to participate, to be part of the transition. You can make that decision, okay? You are still their guardian until they're 18, and you can always make that decision. Now, if your child stays in public school um, past the age of 18, if you do not have guardianship, you will not have those rights any longer. So keep that in mind. The IEP team is responsible for identifying and evaluating your student, developing, reviewing, and or revising your student's IEP, the determination of placement, um, or the setting where your student will receive his or her special education in accordance with the IEP. Now, here's another important thing. No one from the school or district should ever tell you that your child will not qualify for an IEP or special education services before evaluations have been completed. That is a big no-no, and trust me, I have worked with many families through the years who have been told this exact thing. Oh, he has good grades. He wouldn't qualify for an IEP. Or he's really advanced academically. He just struggles to focus and turn in his work. He wouldn't qualify for any services. That is not true. And it is no one, and I repeat, no one's position to unilaterally determine if a student will or will not qualify for special education services. Special education eligibility is bound by IDEA. But... There are no definite rules for determining who is eligible for special education services. What that means is that under the law, the IEP team has the flexibility to determine if a child qualifies for services. Now, there are 13 categories of eligibility as defined by IDEA. I'm not going to go into all of them, but autism is one of them. And the other two that we generally see are considered for our kiddos are usually OHI, which is Other Health Impaired, or SLD, Specific Learning Disability. Now, just real quick, I want to touch on this, a category of eligibility that I want to simply issue you caution around is emotional disturbance, sometimes called ED or EBD. This is not a category of eligibility that I ever suggest a parent agree to except in extreme situations. This is for students who exhibit inappropriate, usually aggressive behaviors under normal circumstances. And students who are found eligible under this category of eligibility are almost always in a self-contained classroom because their behaviors are so extreme and sometimes violent that they cannot function in an inclusion classroom. Look, for some students, like I said, in extreme cases, this is acceptable. And honestly, maybe it's the best option for that student's safety. All I'm saying to you is that I recommend that if this category of eligibility is mentioned at all 
you do your homework and reach out to somebody who knows more about it. So let's review. For a student to qualify for special education services, they must meet the following criteria. The student must have a disability or disability that falls within one of the 13 categories of eligibility. Their disability must be negatively impacting their educational performance and their unique needs cannot be addressed successfully through the education in general education alone or without individual accommodations, and they may require specially designed instruction. So let me talk really quick about specially designed instruction and what that is. Sometimes referred to as SDI, specially designed instruction, is basically a set of organized and planned instructional services which adapt the content, the methodology, or delivery of instruction to address the unique needs that result from a student's disability. All right, now I want to explain the differences between an IEP and a 504 plan. You know, it's funny, in the world of special education, and just education in general, it just seems like it's filled with acronyms and abbreviations, which just make it really difficult for parents, especially parents that are new to all of this, to navigate and understand. So the really important things that you need to know about or you should be familiar with are an IEP, which is an individualized education plan, or a 504 plan. Look, they are both formal documents. They provide important accommodations and information for any child with special needs, yet they are very different. So let me go through them. What is an IEP? An IEP is a comprehensive document that essentially serves as a guide or a roadmap for a child with special education services. It will include comprehensive information about the child's diagnosis, recommended services, measurable goals, accommodations, and anything else specific to that student's unique identifying factors and needs in the educational setting. It is a legal and binding document and is the result of a comprehensive evaluation and a team decision to qualify that student for special education and related services. This is also important to know. It is a fluid document that can be changed at any time the IEP team determines that changes need to be made to accommodate that student's individual needs. When your child has an IEP, you have more power over their education than you can even imagine. You can call an IEP team meeting as often as you feel is necessary to meet the needs of your child. An IEP has services and measurable goals based on the student's individual needs. Now, here's the thing. When we say service, that means that someone is teaching the student a skill. It's really important for you to know. So an IEP has services on it. A service means that someone is teaching that student a skill 
And there is a goal, a measurable goal attached to that service. Now, let's talk about a 504 plan. A 504 plan is also a map or a plan, but it deals specifically with how that child will be learning within school. And it is not the result of a comprehensive evaluation or a diagnosis, um, but the name of the document comes from Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, which prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities who need accommodations. This is issued to students who can participate in the general education classroom, but they need accommodations in order to be on a level playing field with their peers. So the school must provide them the accommodations that will put them on a level playing field with their peers. So let's talk about some of the differences. An IEP is an in-depth document for all students who require special education services. A 504 plan can accommodate students who can learn within the general education environment with modifications with accommodations. 504 plans can also be utilized on an as-needed basis. So a lot of times a 504 plan will be written for physical accommodations for a student with a temporary injury. Um, You know, they need accommodations to get from um, class to class if they're on crutches. They need somebody to go with them and carry their books. That can be written onto a 504 plan. IEPs constitute a fully active special education plan for students, and they are renewed annually. Now, this is interesting because you may hear them say your child's IEP is going to expire. IEPs do not expire. They are renewed annually, but what happens is if the school does not rewrite or renew the IEP by that specific date, they are out of compliance, but it does not expire. Their services will continue. You need to know that. Everything included in a 504 can be included in an IEP, but not everything in an IEP can be included in a 504. An IEP provides services and supports where a 504 plan only provides supports, okay? A 504 plan only has accommodations. It does not include any services. So let me explain, let me let me tell you this. I learned this many years ago and it has stuck with me and I have taught it over and over again because it is truly the easiest way to explain it and for you to understand it. Think about it this way. If you have a child who cannot swim and you give them floaties, what happens? They can stay above water. That is an accommodation that puts them on a level playing field. They're not sinking. They're staying above water. So that can be on a 504 plan. But if someone is going to teach that child how to swim, That is a service, and that must be on an IEP. See how that works? So that's just an easy way, you know, to remember it and to think about it. Now, these are a couple important things that I want you to note before we close. Here is what is especially important. This is what I talked about earlier. 
Just because your child has a medical diagnosis of autism does not mean that they automatically qualify for special education. In order for them to qualify, their disability must be negatively impacting their educational performance in the school environment. Next, a child might technically be able to have both an IEP and a 504 plan, but there's really no need to have both. Because think about it. If they need accommodations, that can be written on an IEP with services. If they don't need services and they only need accommodations, that can just be written on a 504 plan. Next, an IEP does not extend beyond high school or secondary school or the age of 21. It is not on any public record that can be identified or found once the child leaves high school. If a student will need support after high school and is continuing their education in college, it's super important for them to work with the college accessibility office upon admission because colleges have no way of knowing that a student requires special services unless that student discloses that information. It is not part of the student record that will follow them beyond secondary school. If the team determines that your child qualifies for special education services at the determination meeting, they may or may not decide to write the, the IEP document at that meeting. They can, and some do, but others will require a second meeting to reconvene to write the actual IEP document. Now, there are a couple things I want you to know if your child qualifies for an IEP. First, the present level statement is particularly important when developing an IEP. Be sure to go back and listen to our episode 17, where I talk about that in detail. And the last thing is that placement should always be the last discussion after an IEP is written. And the reason for this is because the IEP is written based on the student's individual needs. It is not written based on what the school can provide, what they currently offer, if a therapist is available or not, whether funding is available or not. And because this is a huge no-no too, just know you should never be told that a school or a district does not have funding to provide a service that the team determines that student needs. Once the IEP is written, it is at that time and only at that time that placement is discussed. And that might mean, look, that might mean determining what percentage of the student's day is in a self-contained classroom versus a mainstream classroom, or it might mean considering whether that school can meet the needs of the student's IEP as written, and if they can't, what other options are available? What other placements are available? When the team writes the IEP, none of those factors should be considered. An IEP should be written solely based on what that individual student needs in order for them to be successful. So I hope this has been helpful. You guys know, as always, I love being here with you every week. And look, if you're enjoying the podcast and you're finding value, please make sure that you subscribe and also take a minute to write us a review. That is how we're able to reach more moms 
just like you and keep them informed. And if you're on social media, be sure to find us everywhere at Not Your Average Autism Mom and like and follow us. And if you want more information on our private membership where you will get even more of us than we give you on the podcast, and if you've ever thought you needed an advocate or you just want to learn more about special education and what is available to your child, we are your place. Inside our private membership, you have access to not only a multitude of training modules on all things special education in our member portal, but you get direct access to our master IEP coach slash advocate, Cheryl Moscow, who specializes in autism and is available to you for all your questions on live training and coaching calls every week. So if that sounds like something you are interested in, be sure to head over to our website at www.notyouraverageautismmom.com and you can check when we're open again for new members. And if we're not open, be sure to join our waitlist. It is a great place to be. And I promise you, you cannot find what we offer inside our membership anywhere else for what our monthly membership fee is. All right. Remember, you are doing amazing at this mom thing. See you again next week. Same time, same place. Hey, so if you are loving what you are learning on the podcast, you really should check out our private membership. Our Not Your Average Autism Mom community is where we dive deeper into all of the topics we discuss on the podcast and where you can get individual help and learn coaching tools that will make your life better every day when you learn to manage your mind. You will have access to all of our training and resources that you will need along your autism parenting journey. And you will develop relationships with other moms just like you, all raising a child with autism. It is my absolute favorite place to be. So head on over to the website at www.notyouraverageautismmom.com to get all the details. And please, if we're not open right now for new members, we only open a couple times a year. Be sure to join the wait list so that you'll be the first to know when we're going to open. I hope you do. I would love to work with you inside.